occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 78. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses on this kind of autumn, kind of summer's day. Is it summer or not? I need clear answers and I need them now. Well, the clear answer is yes, it is summer. But if you look Where's at, the sun? If you look at the track record, it's not summer. It's summer. Cinema. <laughs> Cinnamon. Well, in autumn, you get oughts. In winter, you get winds. Where's the summer? <laughs> I actually hate you. Okay, what are you talking about today? This week, I'm going to be telling you about the unsolved true crime case of Missy Beavers. Interesting. I think it is Beavers. If it's not Beavers, I'm so sorry. B-E-V-E-R-S, right? Bevers? I think it's Did Beavers. Did you not... Get an audio? Honestly, completely forgot. Kate, you do this every week. Beavers, Bevers. I think because it's American, it's going to be Beavers. Kate, you're supposed to search this. I forgot. I've written nearly 2,000 words. <laughs> I've researched it. All right, all right, all right. All right, what are you telling us about then? I'm talking about the extremely organised murders of John List. That's not how you say it. It's Least. He was a killer that no one saw coming. If it's Least... I'm sorry. <laughs> it can't be. Oh it's, my god. Could you I, imagine? Maybe we should start searching it for every single name. Maybe we shouldn't because we do enough hours of research as it is. True. I have 2,672 words. Oh my god, I don't have that many. Oh no. I am inferior. Sorry we missed last week. Sorry about that. Whoops. We forgot that Tuesdays happened. But today is a great episode. So it so doesn't we matter. We honestly don't have a clue. It will be. Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. But first, do you have any news? I do, yes. News.sky.com has informed me that something interesting has been sent up to space. Can you guess what it is? Uh, is it a dog? No. Then it's not interesting, is it? You want to guess anything else? Is it feces? No, but I'm sure there has been feces in space. It's actually 128 baby squid from Hawaii. See, I could never have guessed this. You could My, I was branching out a bit with feces because I was like, that's kind of weird. Oh, Would I they ever you, do that? I told you it was interesting. It is interesting. A SpaceX resupply mission to the International Space Station brought the little babies on board so that scientists can see how they cope Why? in space. It's not just a random study. Astronauts are facing the problem of their immune systems becoming dysregulated. So basically the immune system doesn't realise bacteria as easily and they get sick. Since squid have, and I'm quoting, a simple system. Oh, that's not very kind. I know, it seemed pretty rude. They'll be able to look at them and see where the problem's lying. In case you want to know more about these Hawaiian bobtail squid... They grow to about seven centimetres and live for just a couple of months in the wild. And they're very cute and they're red. Oh. Their mission started on the 23rd of June and they were frozen to be returned at, to Earth at the end of July. So they're home now. They, they made it back okay? I hope. Can you believe those squids went to space? There were no articles about like a squid sucker, so I can, one can only presume. Baby squids. 
That's so beautiful. Imagine if they got lost and then aliens found them. And they were like, wow, this is the creature that inhabits the Earth. Oh, The baby squid. That would be sweet, wouldn't it? You're like, oh, I'm so excited to visit Earth. It's just full of baby squids. And you get here and you're like, these Long, creatures are not meat suits. baby squids. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about some death? Do we have to? And no, that's, that's it. it. Bye. Yes, we do. Go on then. Um, Pre-warning for mine... Some kids are the victims in this. I will not be talking about it too in depth, but that is your warning. You can skip ahead to mine. Mine has no child death. Yes. So some call John List's murders an almost perfect crime. I think that's a horrible way of putting it, but he was incredibly organized and thoughtful when it came to putting his plans to work, which is pretty impressive again is the wrong word. But you know when there are so many famous serial killers? Mm. And they make some mistakes and you're just like, wow, you didn't even think. And yet you've, yeah. you've killed so many people. It'll be interesting to hear about one that was actually meticulous in planning. This guy planned everything, but he's not that well known. I so, knew him. Do you? No. So my sources are ABC News, Wikipedia, All That's Interesting, Delaney, Bartlett.medium.com, and FilmDaily.co. So John was born in Michigan in 1925, and he was the only child to German-American parents. His family were followers of the Lutheran branch of Protestantism. I knew I was going to struggle with that word. <laughs> Protestantism. And from the outside, they were like the all-American dream, you know? Mm. So when he was 18, John enlisted in the United States Army, and he served as a lab technician during World War II. And then after the war ended, he was discharged... And he went to university, where he got a bachelor's degree in business administration, and then he got a master's degree in accounting. Smart guy. But then, just a few years later, the Korean War escalated, so he was recalled to join the military again mm -hmm. and sort of continue his service. And it was around this time he met a widow of a different officer that had been killed in action in Korea, and her name was Helen Morris Taylor. And the two got very close, and then they married the following year. Aww. Well, they got married because apparently Helen had lied to John that she was pregnant, so they oh. would have to get married, but she wasn't actually pregnant, and then he, she told him that after they'd already been married. She baby-trapped him. So then Helen already had a daughter named Brenda from her previous marriage, and then the whole family packed up and they moved to Northern California. Do you think she was like, I'm pregnant? And he was like, oh shit, we should get married. And then she was like, oh, not currently. This is my daughter, Brent. <laughs> I have been pregnant. You have misheard me. Come on, John, use your brain. So, so then they all moved to Northern California and they moved so much during this story that it's honestly, it was hard to keep track. But I think I got it all down. So then the army assigned John to the finance service support because of his accounting degree. Mm -hmm. And then after completing his military services, he was quickly able to get another job in an accounting firm because he had tons of experience. Yep. He also worked in a side job in a paper company. And Helen gave birth to three children, Patricia, Frederick and John Jr. This was in the space of four years since they got married. Did she give birth all at once? No. Right. It was over those four over years. Over four years, she had. Right. They got married and had three kids. Right, right, right. That makes a lot. They more are sense. not triplets. I was like, whoa! Imagine lying that you're pregnant and then God smites you down with triplets. No, that's not. What <laughs> You'd be littered. <laughs> that, yeah, that's karma, baby. Yeah. No, that's not what happened. Right. Over the course of four years, they tried for some children and they got them. So, 
1959, John had risen to the superior of the paper companies. Sorry, supervisor. Don't know why I've said superior. The superior. I, was, I said it and I was like, mm, what is the superior of the paper company? You have not heard of the <laughs> superior of the paper company? He was the supervisor of the paper company's accounting department. Which is a bit less impressive than the superior of the company. It is. But a year later, Brenda got married, the oldest kid, and she moved out of the household. So then the rest of the family moved to New York because John had been offered a new well-paying job as the director of accounting services. Oh, good job. However, oh. his relationship with his wife was starting to get rocky because she became an unstable alcoholic. Oh, no. John was also feeling the pressure of providing for a large family, and his co-workers found him to be quite strange and off-putting. Sorry, I know that you can have functioning alcoholics, but I don't think many alcoholics are stable. Do you know what I mean? I think she was... like a weird piece of terminology. Unstable and also an alcoholic. Oh, unstable, comma, alcoholic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> she wasn't a very stable person, and she was also treating her illnesses that we'll discover later with right. alcohol... Combined with her medication. Alcohol as a treatment, spoiler, not very good. Yes. Don't do it. It's true, kids. Don't do alcohol. <laughs> don't smoke the alcohol. It is <laughs> God, bad for don't you. don't do that. So he was still seen, despite everyone thinking he was a bit of an odd guy in the mm -hmm. workplace, he was still seen as being very detail-oriented and a hard-working accountant. So in 1965, he was offered the position of vice president of a bank in New Jersey. So he accepted this and they moved once again to a new state. This was obviously a pretty cushy job. So he brought his mum, Alma, to live with them because he had now bought a 19 bedroom Victorian mansion wow. with a big long driveway and lots of space. That's impressive. Nobody needs that many bedrooms, but I'm a bit jealous. That's not true. What if you have 18 children? That's true. He doesn't have 18 children. Maybe he's thinking about it. Do you know how many of these little dancing cactus people I could put in a house with 19 bedrooms. 19 of them. 19 million. One million per bedroom. Over the years, Helen's life became increasingly more unstable, and she also had a secret to tell her husband. She had syphilis, which she contracted from her first husband. Oh, no. So that is, of course, an STI, but without treatment, it can damage your organs severely, including your heart or your brain, and it can also be passed on from mothers to children. Yeah. So she hadn't told him that either. Oh, no. And most states had, I don't know if they still do, they had a premarital syphilis test that you had to take before you got married. Oh. But she suggested that they get married in a place that did not have that test. Clever. So he never found out. Oh, boy. She was also experiencing blackouts and began taking prescription tranquilizers. She also stopped attending church, which was something John did not like. So she clearly needed some support. Yeah. From her husband, who did not give it to her. From a lot of people. From several people, but I'm sure in the husband, home, first he would be probably the first person you'd talk to. Yeah. As well as this, the children were now in their early teens. So they were kind of figuring themselves out in the 60s, and they wanted to be like free-spirited people, especially oh, yeah. Patricia. You might have syphilis. And she wanted to get a job as an actress when she grew older. And John did not like that. Because there were rumours she'd been smoking marijuana, and he was like, people in the acting industry, they, they do drugs, they do witchcraft, and they aren't good people. <laughs> Honestly, gasp. it's the 60s, everyone did it. 
teenagers are rebelling in the 60s. And he was like, oh, my God, this is my worst nightmare. I want my family to be the perfect American family. We have to be wealthy and religious and harmonious. And this is just the opposite. Guys, please. Guys, I'm just finding out a lot of new information. And then a year after he started this job, he just lost it. Oh, no. So the rumors are because he was super odd and people didn't like to be around him at work, even though he was good at his job. So he didn't have the job anymore. And John did not want to be seen as a person who would ruin the family dream. Out of all of these people, he thought, I don't want to be the one that destroys this for us. Right. Because he he thought that he was the only person pulling this weight to fulfil his dream life. So for a while afterwards, he would just get up as normal and pretend to go to work every day. That is the scariest thing. I've heard of this happening a lot, right? And for example, um, the girl on the train right spoiler she has no job and yet partakes in a train commute she is in fact a girl on a train but that amount of deception not only to everyone else but also yourself is frightening i would not get up that early if it were not for my job i would be partaking in hobbies throughout the day were it not for my job Do you know what I mean? Well, he could have just spoken to his family and been like, look, guys, I'm really sorry, but I've lost this job. We're going to have to downgrade the house, you know, sell the house, probably get a lot of money for it. We'll move somewhere smaller and I'll find a different job. But instead, he went to the train station every day, read the newspaper, and then he would steal money from his mother's account to pay the mortgage. She was in her 80s. I mean, I understand a little bit why he didn't talk to his family, because they're obviously not on the best terms at the minute. True. I imagine there's a lot of anger. Well, there is a lot of anger. And it's not going to come out in a a healthy way. John is not a very nice man. He's a sick little bastard. Oh my God. He is. So eventually, he got a new job, but he lost that job as well. And then his sanity just started to slip because over a little while, he just kept starting jobs and then getting fired from the jobs because he was a big weirdo. (laughs) So by 1971, he was bankrupt. And he was like, I'm not going on welfare, I refuse, because I don't want to be embarrassed. Like, my friends and family and my neighbours, like, he bought the most expensive house in the most expensive part of town. So he was really embarrassed to be like, I've been living here a year, my neighbours think I'm this, like, super wealthy accountant man. I can't now just go on welfare and move out. That would be so embarrassing. So he didn't want people to, to know that he was poor, poor is the wrong word but that he was poor and well he was bankrupt in a failing marriage yeah so also he was struggling to get along with his kids he just bought this house like he was very stressed and he felt like he was the the only way to get out of this situation was to kill his entire family yes he could have accepted a lower income he could have went to family therapy he could have done literally anything but he didn't he didn't do that I think it's absolutely crazy, the stigma. Obviously, I understand he's also not got the best coping mechanisms anyway. Oh, of course. But, like, the Regular people don't do this. Of something like family therapy in the 60s, it was just not... It was not done. The stigma of being bankrupt, of losing a job, of everything, it was just absolutely crazy. I mean, it's still not great now, but... 
To think that murdering your whole family is the only way out of a situation. This thing, this thought anyway, absolutely baffles me. It's like all of those stories you read about people being in marriages and instead of just getting divorced, they just kill their, their spouse. They just kill their whole family and start again. I mean, it's crazy enough cheating. You know what I mean? Rather than just leaving. But let alone literally murdering. It's wild the lens people will go to to just leave. Like, you can be free if you just deal with your problems. You don't have to kill people. Yeah. You really don't have to do I that. I guarantee you murder is not the way forward. Almost definitely. Scratch that. Definitely. <laughs> you don't need to do that. So, yeah. He decided the way I'm going to get out of this to not be embarrassed is to just kill everybody and then I don't have to tell them and then I'll just leave. <laughs> it's an inventive way around your problems. I told you he was a horrible man. So <laughs> it's November 9th, 1971. John woke his children as normal and he sent them to school for the day. His wife was drinking her morning coffee when he shot her in the back of the head with Ooh. a handgun. What a coward's way out. I know. He placed her body on a sleeping bag and dragged her into the ballroom. As soon as he was done with this, he headed upstairs to his elderly mother, Alma, who lived in like a little apartment in the attic. Oh, she doesn't... No, she's not even like your new family unit. Well, then he shot her as well. Oh, for God's sake. And so he shot her and he attempted to move her to the ballroom, as he had with his wife, but she was too heavy for him to carry, so he just left her where she'd lay. And he put a towel on her face to cover it. And then he waited for his children to come home. And because he'd calculated his plan well, he contacted the teachers of the school, mm -hmm. and he told them that the family would be leaving to take care of a sick relative, and they would be leaving that night, and they would be leaving the entire state. He then contacted his newspaper delivery to be cancelled. He cancelled all of their mail and their milk delivery, and any other deliveries, anyone that might come to their house. He called them and said, don't come to my house, basically. And then he cashed out the rest of his mother's money. Later, Patrick and Frederick came home from school at different times, and he killed both of them in the same way he had killed their mum, before taking their bodies to the ballroom. So they were all sort of in the same place besides, besides Alma. Now, this part is horrible, but his oldest son, John Jr., was having a football game, or soccer for Americans. So, to make things look normal, John drove to the game, and he cheered him on during the game and stuff. So, obviously, his son was excited to see his dad at the game, oh. not knowing that his entire family had been killed by him and that he would be next. Fuck that guy. Yeah. So, then John drove his son home before shooting him and taking his body into the ballroom with everybody else. So now that John had killed his entire innocent family, he washed up, he cleaned the house, he made himself dinner. After he'd finished eating, he did the dishes and he went to bed. He later said that he slept better that night than he had in years. The next day, John woke up, he turned down the air conditioning, turned on all the lights and put on some classical music. He then wrote out a full confession of his actions to his pastor. And then he left town. So he left the letter in his study and he'd written that there was too much evil in the world and he'd killed his family to save their souls before it was too late. Which... Bullshit. Yeah. Don't lie to your pastor. I mean, it might be right, but from what he said in court later, it kind of seems like he just said that to be like, 
God, I don't want my family to be sinners, but really he's just like, this is embarrassing and I have to leave, you know? Yeah. Before he left, he cut his face out of every one of the family photos so there was no photo of him in the house. He kept the radio on to make intruders think that people were home and he kept all the lights on for the same reason. So if you picture this scene from the outside as a neighbourhood, they likely heard from another parent that the family moving away. There's no deliveries to make it look suspicious. The car is gone. Also, the house is huge with a long driveway. So you'd have to go right up to it mm. to see that there was anything weird. Yeah. And if you didn't hear that they weren't going to be there, you'd you see a in. house with music, yeah. the lights are on. They were known to be a bit reclusive. There's absolutely nothing weird. It was clean and organized. People didn't know anything was wrong until one month later. Yeah, I'm not surprised. That's crazy. That's really well planned. Yeah. But also, like, disgusting. It gets even more well planned. He'd obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this. But because he'd left all of the lights on, the neighbours thought that, you know, he'd just left them on when he went away. Maybe they had a housekeeper staying or maybe they were actually in the house if he hadn't heard of that. But because they were on all the time, they started going out one by one. So, like, the bulbs would blow, they would burn out. And that's obviously very weird. Like, you don't do that. That's not normal. I think they'd realised at that point, wow, those lights have been on for a month. Yeah. That's very strange. So the neighbours called the police. This was December 7th. The police entered the property through an unlocked window and they quickly discovered the bodies in the dark with classical music playing distantly. Which is terrifying. Ew. Also, the smell... One month. They'd been there for a month. So this crime received national attention because the area was deemed very safe. No crimes been reported there in several years. Also, bizarre. No one knew the the motive besides what he'd written. People didn't even know who this guy was. So an investigation was launched to find their killer. But if you remember, John had destroyed all of the photographs of him when they left. And it's not like social media, you can just find him on Facebook. So they couldn't distribute his image across the country, you know, to find out. Mm. People didn't know, except people who had already met him. They did find his car at JFK Airport in New York, but they found no evidence that he'd got on a flight because he'd put it there to try and, like, give a detour because he really took his car to the airport and then got a bus into New York City and then got a train to Colorado. Wow. And then he changed his name to Robert Clark and went by Bob, you know, make it seem a bit more legit. Mm. He got an accounting job in Colorado, joined his local church, met another woman who got married to him in 1985. She didn't know anything about this. They moved into a new house and they continued to work. And he lived this new life for 18 years, almost 20 years since he did this crime. And they couldn't find him because he'd planned it so well. That's crazy. Right? Imagine being married to someone... For, let's say they got married a couple of years after, right? Like, I imagine he didn't just go there and immediately get married. You married someone 15 years. You think you know them, right? Like, you yeah. think you know the ins and outs of everything. Like, I think you know someone anyway after a couple of years of being together and living together. If you've been married to someone for, let's say, five years, I would say you would know everything about them. Yeah. Ten years even more. Like, they might have, like, one or two secrets. Like, they don't like their wedding ring or something. You know what yeah, I mean? they didn't get the milk that one time. Yeah, but it's not going to be, oh, I, 
I actually, my name is entirely different. I have murdered my entire family and fled the county. Right? And I just can't believe how well thought out this was. That they didn't even find the bodies for a month, which gave them so much time. To oh, give yeah. him so much time to get out of there. Yeah. He could have spent ages thinking about it. So by the time the news even heard about it, he probably already settled in. His neighbors probably already knew him. It wasn't like exactly, this random guy yeah. just showed up after this crime. Like, there was absolutely no way you would know. Oh, God. Which is terrifying. The police had followed up every single lead and tip, but they just couldn't find him. It was like he just vanished. And then, when the case was 18 years cold, the show America's Most Wanted aired. It was a hit. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, yeah. They thought this would be the perfect way to bring more attention to this case and finally catch John because he was living a completely normal life elsewhere. Yeah. And the show originally turned the case down because it was too old and too cold. Me. But then a man called John Walsh caught wind of the case. He's a criminal investigator, TV host and victim's advocate after his son was tragically killed in 1981. So he was hosting the show and he was determined to help catch this killer because Mm. he was like, this is a child killer. We're not letting this guy just run around and kill other people. It's not going to happen. Fair. And so he had hired a forensic sculptor to create a bust of how John would look now with the help of a forensic psychologist. Wow. And then they showed the bust on TV and gave a description. And it is incredibly uncanny. Oh. Like, you would not believe they hadn't seen this guy when they built it. It was just aged up based on, like, photos and things that they finally got a hold of, like, people describing things. They even put on his distinct glasses that he got when he was younger. They were, like, expensive, younger frames. He'd worn them when he'd reached success, and the psychologist was like, he would never get rid of these. Like, these are going to remind him of his prime days. He's going to be wearing these glasses, and he was. Wow. So the episode aired in 1989, and 22 million people saw this. And then John's neighbours were watching the show, and they were like, wow, this is so crazy. You'd crap yourself, wouldn't you? Because the police were like... We're looking for a soft-spoken accountant in his 60s. He's a member of the Lutheran Church. You know, he's big into religion. And they were like, oh, that's weird. Oh, my God. Bob is like that. And then they showed this photo and they were like, holy shit, that's Bob. And then they called the police. Oh, my God. And 11 days later, the FBI showed up. They went to his house. His new wife was there. And she was like, oh, Bob's at work. So they went to his office. And the agents saw John and they were like, holy shit. He looks so much like this model. Like, we've got him. That's incredible. They asked him if his name was Bob. He was like, yeah. And then they were like, is your name John? And he was like, no. And then he continued... (laughs) Runs away. (laughs) He continued denying it even after he was arrested. They took his fingerprints and they matched it to the prints he he gave when he bought a handgun permit many years ago when his name was John. Wow. And they were like, you're John. Your fingerprints match. You're fibbing. You're John, buddy. And he was like, my name was not John. (laughs) Your name was John. And eventually, he confessed that he was John. And that he'd killed his entire family. His wife divorced him immediately. I cannot imagine how she was feeling. Terrified. Imagine imagine unknowingly living, marrying a serial killer for like 15 years. Serial killer. Killer. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not a serial killer. No, he's just a killer. He's a... Familiar side. Uh, is that what it's called? I don't know. You're the crime woman. I think so. Tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Not you. Killer of many. Killer. Multiple people killer. Horrible man. On one occasion. 
So John was charged with five counts of first degree murder and his trial began the following year in April 1990. On trial, he said he was experiencing financial difficulties at the time. He admitted faking to go into work and stealing from his mum. He was also bothered with his wife, who'd been upset with, who um, he was upset with for turning to alcoholism and not telling him about syphilis. He also said that she constantly humiliated his sexual abilities, compared them to her previous husband. And Good for her. She said that he he said that she was very mean to him, and she turned from an attractive young woman into a paranoid recluse. You can't be mad at someone because they're an alcoholic. Also, if I was with someone and they were like, you used to be attractive and now you're a paranoid recluse, I would humiliate them publicly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd be like, well, you're crap at sex, so bugger off. Then... You've got a tiny, tiny willy. Go away. I hate that you say things like this on the show. <laughs> they diagnosed John with OCD, which his defence said made him guilty of only second-degree murder. I beg your pardon? I don't really know how... Um, I understand OCD. I don't really know how that would change. Yeah, like once you've killed one, you've got to kill them all. Isn't first like premeditated? Mm. It's. I was reading a book, actually. Oh, you sound really smart now. Mm. It was <laughs> Spot's Big Adventure. No, um... it was the Hungry Caterpillar. This has nothing to do with the case. I just, <laughs> just wanted, wanted to, to let tell you. Know. you. No, it was something to do with... I can't remember what it's called, murder. It's some, something to do with murder. And it's got in it that basically everyone thinks that murder and manslaughter are different because murder is premeditated and manslaughter isn't. But there is more of a nuance, but I cannot remember what it is because I haven't finished the book yet. I thought that first-degree murder was premeditated and intentional and second-degree was intentional but not premeditated. What, so, like, how could you argue, though, that that wasn't premeditated? I guess it would just be, like, if you... Oh, so he's living with his wife, so he just shot her in the head, and then he killed the other woman, his mum, and then he was like, oh, my God, I have to cancel all of my bills, I have to cancel my milk, I have to tell the school that we're leaving. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Either way. How does OCD make you Or secondary murder is, is like manslaughter. You know what? This is supposed to be your special subject, I'm sorry that I can't provide. <laughs> it's okay. The defence also tried to argue that he had PTSD from his military days, but the psychologist, the expert psychologist who was there was like, he's just going through midlife crisis. PTSD is not an excuse for killing your entire family in such an organised way. They're Honestly, not linked. respect. After nine hours of deliberation, the jury found him guilty of all five accounts of first-degree murder. He was given the maximum sentence allowed for the time, which was five life terms. There's also some of his trial on YouTube, if you want to see it. Oh, interesting. John said that he knew killing was wrong, but he thought the financial hardships would make his family slip further from him, and the only way out was to end their lives. He also said before he killed his mother, he gave her a kiss as she was making her breakfast, quote, like Judas. What a ah, sick yes. little thing to say. Breakfast, the Judas meal. Because he gave her a kiss and then he betrayed her. Oh, right. <laughs> Oh my god. I thought he was saying that she was like Judas. She was making was toast like, the way Judas oh, did. Oh yeah, Judas used to make breakfast all the fucking time. Yuck. No. I understand now. He gave her a he kiss. He is calling himself Judas. And then he shot his mum. 
Well, that was an embarrassing mistake to make, wasn't he, it? He also <laughs> said he wanted to kill his family to make sure that they got into heaven, where there would be no pain or suffering, because if he left it too long, they might not have got in with all of the nonsense they were pulling, you know. <laughs> and he didn't kill himself out of fear because he didn't want to go to heaven. He didn't want to knock it into heaven because he killed himself. So he wanted to, like, reunite with them. There. He wanted to make sure they would all get there together and they would reunite. Sweetheart, I think after killing five people, you're not allowed in. Right? He was like, yeah, I knew one of the commandments is to not kill, but, like, God will just let me off this time. Yeah, because but, I like, didn't if I then committed suicide, that's a step too far. Yeah, right? So, anyway, he got put in prison. Good. And then he died in prison in March 11th, 2008, after complications with pneumonia. He was aged 82. Also, uh, a horrible way to end this... The family home remained empty for a year after the police discovered the crime scene, but it was destroyed by arson with no suspects. And you know, this whole thing was him just being like, we don't have any money, Where? While they were cleaning up the rubble of the home, they discovered that the ballroom had a stained glass skylight, which was a signed Tiffany original worth at least $100,000, which now, you want to take a guess how much that is? Like 1.2 million. It's about 620000 <laughs> So this alone, if they'd have been aware when they bought the house that that's what that was, they could have just sold that and had enough money that he could have found any job in the next few years. And that's just like the the evaluated price. Right. If you took something like that to auction, people are going to bid on it. And if that's in the house, who knows what else is there? Oh, no. So he killed his family over a small amount of embarrassment... And they could have just a bit of avoided it. Cash. But also, while they might not have gone into this, if he'd have realised that and been like, oh, it's fine, we'll just sell this. We can continue living here for two years, you know, with this money. Then I don't think that he would have just been able to do that, to be honest. I no. think that he would have just been found another reason to kill them at some point. Yeah, I think the whole chlamydia thing would have just pushed him over the edge anyway. Syphilis. That was what I meant. I have no idea why I said chlamydia. Those are not the same. Literally, that's Please not even Please don't get those It's okay. Good. Because I had written STI, when I was writing that he had OCD, I wrote that he had STD. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and for that, he should get only second degree murder. Because he had an STD. <laughs> Paul might had an STD. Give him an easier sentence. When did that change come about? STD to STI? Um, you want me to find out? No, I just, I missed the memo, and then everyone started calling it STI. I thought I they like, were different. What are you talking about? No, I think they're the same thing. I think STI is like the new hip version. STD is like... Yeah, STD is sexually transmitted disease, and STI is infection. Not all diseases in, uh, start with infections, but many do. Which ones don't? If many of them do, why are we making a difference? If all infections are diseases, why not just call them STDs? Um. Yeah. Go on, riddle me that. I don't Riddler. know, I'm trying to find out for you. Honestly, it doesn't matter that much. But you wanted to know. You think I'm not on Google using my search history now, which is now both murder and STDs? People are going to think I'm very odd. It's like you in Costa. Oh, God, yeah. I was in Costa doing some of the research for today. And one of the links that I clicked 
um, was banned from Costa because um, it was to do with uh, cult. And I was like, oh no. And then when I was <laughs> when I was looking for some news, you might have seen it on the Instagram story. Um, it was <laughs> it was about a young child inviting over another child for like a date. And enticing them with, like, you can come over and we can eat cheeses. Um, so my search history must have looked like an absolute hoot. I can't find the answer. Let us know if you know anything about first-degree murder or STIs. If anyone here works at a clinic, please enlighten me. I would love to know. Maybe I'll go to a clinic and be like, I don't think I have anything, but I have a question. You're just turning up like, I, no, 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 shh, 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 you're not listening. What STI? What STD? They're like, would you like a freebie? And I'm like, no, I want answers. <laughs> and then I leave. <laughs> I want the clear cut truth. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. It was very interesting. Yeah. Very well thought out. Yeah. Disgustingly well thought mm. out. Yeah. And if you like the podcast, you can head over to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Magic Pod. You can check out the photos that we're going to put up today. Other fun stuff, polls, clips great things to interact with also you can head over to our patreon at patreon.com forward slash myths magic murder and you can watch the video uncut versions of the podcast you can get extra pics extra polls you can support the podcast so that we can get more cool stuff like today i record on a tripod and it's just now resting in peace so i'm no longer recording on a tripod i'm vlogging with a wardrobe so it's I will be me, the wardrobe. using the Patreon funds <laughs> to buy another tripod, for example. Yay! <laughs> um, there's also fun interactive things. <laughs> Occasionally we'll pop a poll on there, see what you guys think about whatever we're doing wrong. Um, Occasionally, also as well, we pop on extra episodes with interesting facts and fun things for you to hear. You get to make this show sick. Yeah. It's a good time. In a good way. It is. And it's as little or as much as you want yep. a month. Additionally, if you have any terrifying tales, haunted happenings, or spooky stories, you can email those over to us on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com or you can visit our website, mythsmagicandmurder.com and you can pop them on there. Or if you've got any requests that you would like us to do, then you can do that on the website as well. And on the website is our merchandise, which you can view and buy <laughs> for a small price. Moira, please. This episode's getting out of control. It is, but Rain it's a good it time. in. Well, you can get a discount on Patreon for the merch. And I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to crack on. Crack on. My sources are chillingcrimes.com, crimeonline.com, dailymail.com, cbsnews.com, wikipedia, medium.com, and truecrimeedition.com. All right. All right. So, these events take place in Texas back in April of 2016. Oh, that's not very far away. No, it isn't. Back? <laughs> I'm sure you all know about Texas, but it wouldn't be a story from me without a little bit of information geographically. I've heard good things. <laughs> Obviously, I know Texas is a big old place. Huge. So I'm going to narrow it down a bit. This all happened in Midlothian. Again, sorry about that. Which is a city in the northwest of Ellis County, Texas. The estimated population for 2019 was about 33,000. So by this point, it's probably around 35,000 people large. Is that a lot? 
not for Texas. I was going to say, Texas is huge, yeah. right? From what I can gather, it seems like your average small city. I feel like the only reason it's a city is because it has a cathedral. Right. That's what makes a city, right? I think so. Yeah. It has a steel mill and a con and concrete production facilities, a couple of schools, and an airport a few miles out of the city. That sounds quite nice. I feel like if I was to live there, I'd be working as a waitress, Coyote Ugly style. Lovely. Yeah. It's like, from from the photos, obviously I've not been, but from the images, that's what I feel like. I feel like you could get an ice cold beer on every street. That sounds like a great place to be. Yeah. You've never been, but you're selling it to me. <laughs> Back in early 2016, a 45-year-old woman named Terry Missy Beavers lived here with her 42-year-old husband, Brandon, and their three daughters. Missy previously worked as a teaching assistant in one of the schools I mentioned, but quit the job when she had her children so she could spend more time with them. Oh, that's nice. So instead, she worked for herself as a fitness instructor within the city. Since she was an active member of the community, she taught at places like the local church for anyone who wanted to attend. Somehow, Missy managed to get out of the house and to the Creekside Church of Christ by 4.18am. Yeah. Wow. On the 18th of April in 2016 to prepare for her 5am gladiator fitness class. Beast. An absolute beast. What? What? She's how? already completed the gladiator fitness task because that's already class. Well, she's the leader. So good. Yeah. And then she had another one scheduled same day, nine. I cannot imagine being that, first of all, fit and second of all, organized. No. She was so organized. There was a Facebook post and it was like, um, basically, it doesn't matter if it rains, we're going. And then it's like, if you've done the last two sessions on the same weight, you need to up your weight this time. Whereas the wind blows in a different direction where like, the podcast is rescheduled. <laughs> we don't know what day it is. Might I as well not bother. <laughs> I keep thinking it's Thursday because Kate's shifts are all different and I'm freelance. I keep having panic attacks today that I should be at work, but I'm just not in. I keep thinking it's Tuesday. It's currently 6pm and I'm like, the podcast should be out now and we're only 43 minutes into it. It's okay. It's, what day is it? Monday. Oh my God. So, however, when the students arrived at five in the morning, instead of getting an intense gym workout, they were phoning 911. One of the class's members had found Missy completely unresponsive, laying on the floor, covered in her own blood. No. Aside from some chunks of broken glass, one report said that there was a gun nearby, but there was nothing else. The paramedics arrived quickly, but shortly after they did, Missy died from puncture wounds to her head and chest. Gosh, that's so sad. Yeah. It was evident she'd tried to defend herself, but to no avail. Originally, people thought it might have been a robbery that took a violent turn, but when police checked her car, it was unlocked and it had her keys, wallet, iPhone, her licensed gun and her handbag all inside, completely untouched. Damn. Plus, Missy was still wearing her wedding ring and nothing had been taken from the church. So since that was ruled out, they spoke to Brandon and asked if he knew anyone that would want to hurt his wife. The issue was... He said she was loved by everyone and took an active role in the community, so they couldn't come up with any suspects. Then police checked with the church to see if they had any CCTV. They did. A great time. 
and they found the footage from that morning. They also saw, though, that she wasn't alone. There was someone already inside the church who had entered at 10 to 4 that morning, so half an hour earlier than Missy. Police believed they were looking at the person who had murdered Missy. The suspect was wearing police tactical clothes, including a helmet, heavy vest with police written on it on the front and back, black trousers, black gloves, and black shin guards. The suspect was carrying a crowbar, and for some of the footage, they were holding a white box. As well as this, they were also carrying around a hammer, which medical examiners advised would match the weapon that killed Missy, as it was bludgeoning damage that had been inflicted. Hmm. Police believed that the crowbar had been used to gain entry to the church from the back entrance, so it was unlikely that Missy even knew anyone else was in the church with her that morning. From the footage, it's hard to know why the intruder was there. They just kind of casually walk around and occasionally smash one of the windows, even breaking open a door with the hammer at one point. Also from the footage, the police saw the following. And this is what they released to the public. The suspect appears to have a unique walk or gait. The suspect's feet appear to turn outward away from the body, more predominantly on the right foot. It's possible the gait was caused by a temporary condition, injury, or other factor, and the suspect may no longer exhibit this walk or gait. Plus, the person looked to be between 5'2 and 5'8 from the footage. They got a couple tips back from the public, but nothing really led anywhere, obviously, because that's the vaguest statement ever. Yeah, it's basically just being like, it's a, a person. person. Yeah. They walk and have height. Yeah. Well, the hype bit wasn't even involved in the statement. Wow. That was just, like, kind of what they released afterwards. Even that is too vague. Yeah. Like, I'm 5'2 and you're 5'8, so... That's a big difference. There's a big difference. They also had no clue about the gender of the suspect. Which obviously doesn't help when you're searching for someone. No. The footage also didn't capture the actual murder, because all of the cameras in the church were motion-triggered. So, like, it would just notice a person walking by... It's not going to notice a murder. Plus, the cameras outside the back of the church weren't working at the time. So no one knew what kind of transport they used to make their escape afterwards or which direction they headed off in. Gosh, really nothing to go on here. This being said, police did find footage of a Nissan Altima with an oval bumper sticker outside the front of the SWFA outdoors store which was less than half a mile away from the church. From my quick googling, this appears to be a gun store. Oh. Like a hunting type store. Right. The Nissan spent six minutes in the car park with the lights off at like around the same time that all of this was going on. So like super early in the morning, that store is not going to be open and everyone knows it. Yeah, that's a very odd time to be out. Mm. Kind of suspicious. Bit sketchy. Following a tip from the footage of the car, police spoke to Bobby Wayne Henry. He's a security guard who used to work for the police, but was suspended in the 90s because of an allegation of aggravated sexual assault. He had a limp. Mm. He used to work in the tactical section of the police and still owned his riot gear, but admitted to police that it no longer fit him. Are you allowed to have that? I don't think so. I don't think they would let you keep that. I don't think right? that's... Yeah. You could do some damage in that with a weapon. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know if he had the weapon. No, but he could get a weapon. Yeah. He was ruled out as a suspect for the case. Why? Presumably because he was six foot one. Ah, fair. This being said, though, he didn't get off lightly from being a potential suspect because police had gained a warrant for his devices and stuff to see, you know, if he'd been around that area or, or what, what happened. And they found child pornography. Oh, my gosh. So he was put in jail for 70 days. And while he was there, he was saying that he didn't even know Missy, although he had been the security at her funeral. And he had an alibi for the morning uh, and no one was corroborating it. But eventually it was. I don't trust this guy. And to top that off, he was never charged for his offences. What? Of the child pornography? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Come on. Why? He was right there. You've already got the guy. So the police did a little more digging into Missy's life instead and saw that Brandon wasn't telling 100% of the truth the first time he was questioned. In fact, the couple were having quite bad financial problems and there were affairs going on. Oh, messy. Police found out about one of these affairs from Missy's LinkedIn profile. Wow. An obscure place to have an affair. Definitely. I hate LinkedIn with all my heart. Me too. I actively try not to use it. Um, on the profile, there were flirtatious and intimate conversations. On LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. I won't judge her. But that's very odd. I mean, I suppose you're never going to think to check your partner's LinkedIn. That's true, yeah. People on there wear suits. It's true. And they're successful, likely. They're on LinkedIn. Possibly. Might not be. There was also a conversation that Missy had shown a friend from LinkedIn, and both of them agreed it was creepy. Okay. But police never released that conversation to the public. Ugh. Yeah. Brandon himself did have an alibi. He was out of town on a fishing trip, and he provided plane tickets and a car rental receipt to prove that. That's good. Again, it appeared that the police had nowhere to go with the case while they were waiting for tips. This is where I keep all my receipts. <laughs> I've been them all, so. Four days after the murder, they got a call from Dry Clean Supercenter of Midlothian. Randy Beavers, Brandon's father, had sent a woman's white shirt in for dry cleaning as it had blood stains on it. Hmm. He said the blood was from when he tried to break up a dog fight where a dog had attacked and killed his dog, Kilo. No. Yeah. I showed Abby a photo of Kilo earlier, and it's it's heartbreaking. It's a really cute little chubby... Little round chihuahua. Chihuahua, yeah. Rotund. But since the cleaners had heard the news of Missy's death, they immediately got in touch with the police. Plus, they'd noticed that Randy walked with a limp. The police sent the blood off for testing and noted that an attempt had already been made to clean the blood off, but it was unsuccessful, which is why they took it to the dry cleaners. Randy claimed that the blood was all over the shirt because he had carried Kilo into the emergency hospital of Mansfield with his, obviously an animal hospital, I just want to point that out, with his wife, and his wife owned the white shirt. The animal hospital backed up this alibi, and eventually the blood results came back as canine. No. So we are nowhere to go again. That's so sad. <clears throat> In the years since Missy's murder, no one has been charged and there are no persons of interest as far as we're aware. Brandon has stated that he thinks the murderer is a woman, 
possibly one that Missy knew, which is why they were in disguise. But that's just speculation. Missy was an easy person to track around because she was posting onto her Facebook, here's where we're going to be doing this class. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like it's the same for anyone that has their own business. They're going to be promoting it, especially if you have to be there in person. Yeah. Marsha, Missy's mother, has posted letters to the murderer to her Facebook page, urging them to turn themselves in and saying that their lives will be miserable. But the Missy's family has received lots of support from friends who have shared their grief, prayed for them, and even prepared meals for them. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So that's it. The only thing that I have left to say is, if you think you know anything, there's a $10,000 reward for information leading to an arrest from Oak Farms Dairy, and you should phone Crime Stoppers of Ellis County on 972-937-7297. Yeah. And that's it. That's so tragic. I hope they figure it out. I think it's crazy because there were so many opportunities for them to get caught. Yeah. Very bizarre crime. Extremely. I think it has to be someone who knows her, right? Or at least sees her on like LinkedIn or Facebook or something. If she's posting where she's going to be. Why else would you be in a church at that point? Not if you're not going to steal anything. I don't know. I've not got a clue. Just prattling about in a church, 4am with a hammer. Right. Why would you be doing You wouldn't. Right. You wouldn't be doing that. Not at all. They've gone there on purpose. I was thinking perhaps it was one of the people there for the gladiator session. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they got there early because then you wouldn't need to escape. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, we don't know how the murderer escaped. And it's like, they didn't. You're in the room with them. Mm. Pretty crazy stuff. And I presume those are predominantly women. Yeah. Maybe it was, if she was having an affair, maybe it was someone's wife. Maybe someone's wife had joined the gladiator session. We're going to solve this crime. Oh my god, we do not have anywhere near enough evidence. No. But you should look into it, please, in Texas. Yeah, go on, go on Texans. I hope they figure that out, though, that's very sad. Thank it you is. Thank for telling me about it, though. You're welcome, thank you for telling me about yours. Bringing awareness to this case. Yeah. That's all I have. That's all I have, so don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs>